Hi, and welcome to the Sports Info Solutions Baseball Podcast. I'm Mark Simon. We hope that you're well wherever you are and that this podcast provides a respite from anything you may be dealing with. On today's show, we talk to college baseball infielder Dai Dai Otaka. Dai Dai runs a Twitter account, Dai, D-A-I underscore squared, S-Q-U-A-R-E-D, with more than 7,000 followers. He's pertinent to us because his tweets are generally about the intricacies of infield play. He likes defensive excellence as much as we do. On top of that, Dai Dai is creative in his analysis. He watched more than 600 successfully turned 5-4-3 double plays to see where the second baseman, or in some cases the shortstop, receives the throw. And he's done studies on the fielding approaches of Nolan Arenado, Javier Baez, and Francisco Lindor. In addition, Dai Dai was a defensive stalwart for Yale throughout most of his collegiate career, which will continue. The Novi Michigan native started at shortstop as a rookie and led the Ivy League in double plays turned in 2019 with 41. He was a major reason why Yale led the nation in significant defensive categories each of the last two seasons. Double plays per game and fielding percentage really tied the NCAA record. He's a two-time Ivy League champ. All right, that's a long introduction. Where are you talking to us from? Uh, I'm from Sealands Grove, Pennsylvania right now. I'm originally, again, like you said, from Novi, Michigan, um, but I'm in Pennsylvania currently. Okay, and I, I, was, I typically ask our guests, what's the most interesting thing you've done since the pandemic started? And I think that might go right into what we're going to talk about here. So I do ask that question. Yeah, definitely the, uh, the, all the Twitter analytics that I've done in terms of the, uh, the baseball, looking at baseball savant videos and breaking down all of the, the statistics. All right. Now, we, we typically, when we get a player on the show, the first thing that we ask them is, what's the first time that you can remember making a really good defensive play? For me, um, I'd probably say I was eight and I was playing shortstop and I made a diving play to my left, got up and threw from you know a long, low arm slot, got the guy out at first base. And at the time, I thought that was the coolest thing ever. <laughs> it's very <laughs> generic, but it was... No, but I like how you, you, you're able to remember what your arm slot was. And <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's just a natural byproduct of the momentum and everything. All right. So what's, what's your origin story as it pertains to defensive excellence? How did all this interest come about? For me, I had uh, a lot of experience um, meeting professional baseball players uh, when I was younger. I used to live in Tennessee, uh, really close to the Chattanooga Lookouts, which is um, used to be the double A team of the Cincinnati Reds. And I made a lot of um, pro baseball players that would, um, you know, get me on the field and teach me how to take field ground balls when I was five or six. Um, just became friends with them, and they they taught me a lot along the way. And as I grew older and practice and got better, I gained a lot more confidence. Um, started to see how how fun it was and how, I guess, overlooked it was in the game of baseball that used to be so hitting focused. And so the more I dove into it, the better I got. The the more fun I. I thought it was, and um, the more I guess I've tried to perfect my craft, both in terms of teaching it and doing it myself. And the the thing that that happened from all this is it was discovered you could play. I mean, you're, you're playing. You played in the Ivy League, uh, and you played well. The Yale website raves about uh, all your defensive work. Tell us about your baseball career. Yeah, um, I was fortunate enough to uh, go to Yale out of high school and and play the last, uh, I guess, three and a half years um, because of Corona. But um, I, I started at shortstop as a freshman um, due to uh, some injuries. I moved over to second base, but because of that, that opened some new doors in terms of turning double plays, 
Um, as you said earlier, we, we were able to lead the um, country in double plays turn pregame last year. Um, and it, it's been a lot of fun just being able to be on a team that played against some of the top top level competition, including, you know, last year we played Florida, UCF, um, teams like that, just getting great competition, but at the same time getting, you know, the prestigious academic uh, institution um, experience. And where did the, the drive to study all of uh, this stuff and do it the way that you've done it with watching film in bulk, where did that come from? Um, definitely a huge part comes from my former um, associate head coach, Yale, uh, Yale's Tucker Frawley. He's currently the um, assistant field coordinator at the Minnesota Twins. But he started diving into all of that along with, you know, Kai Correa and all those big name guys and um, looking at what they've done and um, talking with a bunch of other people, building those relationships. It pointed me towards looking at videos and trying to find some similarities across players or whether it's case studies or generically to, you know, see, see what commonalities they have and see if it's a, if the, if there's any teaching points or any points that I could take as a infielder myself and use it in games. Are you someone that has a real passion for teaching? Yeah. My dad's a teacher and I think that's kind of carried over. Nice. Um, so I will say this again. If you go to Dai's, Dai Dai's Twitter, uh, it's, it's unique in the baseball world. Uh, like if you're, in the statistics community, community, you get so used to certain approaches to things, and a lot of people's um, tweets, uh, they tend to run together. But uh, check his out, die underscore squared. Uh, and I want to get into some of the things that are on uh, those tweets. Uh, first of all, tell us about this 543 or 563 double play study that you did where you tried to find out where the second baseman handles throws, and you, you did a whole bunch of things with that. I'll let you articulate. Yeah, so um, I was actually doing a talk with um, Jason Bell. He's the Houston Astros uh, development coordinator, um, player development guy, and he was talking to me about one of the studies, case studies I did with Jose Altuve a little while back about his double play turns and um, you know where the feeds were from the third baseman um, with regards to his body left, center, and right, and how quickly he turned his double place. And that kind of pointed me to looking deeper into all of MLB third base, um, five, four, three or five, six, three double place and looking at where those feeds were at the second baseman to see which were the most prevalent. Um, just because, you know, there's some people that say uh, left shoulder feeds are the quickest. Some people say right shoulder feeds are quickest. Some people say just throw it at the chest. I mean, I wanted to see what people said, um, in practice and what people, people did correlated to what people did in games and kind of see um, what major leaguers actually did in terms of um, where those throws came from and where they ended up. What was the result? Uh, the result was actually the majority was to the center of the body and in this uh, area in the chest, but there was a lot that ended up the lower you got more to the right side of the body. You can check out the tweet. Uh, under my Twitter, but you can see that an L, I guess, where it's across the chest and down the right side of the body is the most prevalent throws that usually end around the hip area, the right hip to the the chest area. And the the conclusion from that is, uh, well, for one thing, major leaguers are the best of the best, but what else? Uh, The conclusion is that I think depending on where you throw from in terms of arm slot, uh, where you receive the ball and your momentum, it can have a lot, uh, huge weight and bearing on where the balls end up going. It also, there's a lot of um, variables in terms of um, what second baseman's like. 
uh, in terms of where they want the feed. Uh, there's a lot of variables in terms of just grip, um, where the second baseman sets up, and how they move their body, contour their body in order to catch it where they want to. Um, you can see even the balls that are to the right hip, they kind of lean over with their over their chest so that the ball ends up sort of in front of their their the middle of their body, even though the ball starts off on their right hip, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, so you can see there's a lot of maneuvering going on by the second baseman, but at the, at the same time, I think there's a lot more um, emphasis on just trying to throw to the right side of the second baseman so that they can be farther away from uh, the runner sliding into the base, giving them that extra protection with the base. Is the next step in this to look at, at failed turns and see where the throws were in those instances? That, that'd be really interesting, actually. Um, since I only looked at the ones that were turned, and there's only one ball that hit the dirt, which, again, goes to show that, you know, it has to be very accurate in order to turn double play. So that'd be very interesting to look at. Yep. Uh, lots of studies that certainly could, could emanate uh, from the things that you've worked on. Uh, all right. So we, we like to talk about specific players here, and you've certainly delved into the specifics on some, uh, I guess, one at a time here. What did you find out about uh, Nolan Arenado uh, at third base? Yeah, Nolan Arenado was really interesting. Um, in terms of the case study that I did. Essentially, for those that don't know, I ended up looking at the breakdown of where balls were hit, whether they were to his right, um, add him to or, or to his left, and to see what his um, what different types of ways he caught the ball. So I, I, we'd call it lane versatility or perhaps hand versatility. So not always do you field the ball to your right uh, on a back end. Sometimes you field it with one hand or two hand. And so what I found with Nolan Arenado was that, um, again, playing third base, 42% of the balls were hit to his left, 32% were right at him, um, and 26% were to his right on 274 total plays to first base. That didn't include double plays or anything like that. But it's, it was interesting to see that out of the 71 total plays to his right, Nolan Ar Arenado backhanded 61% of them, but he one-handed 32%. So in terms of training economy, you can look at that and say, okay, yes, we need to work on backhand balls to your right, but we also need to work on getting around it, um, charging, you know, if it's a little bit slower and working on that one hand. And something else that stood out with Nolan Arenado compared to other third basemen were, was that he used his bare hand 7% of the time, which okay. is absolutely insane. So that goes to show his, I'm, I'm, sh I'm sure his uh, hand-eye coordination is, I guess, confidence in using the, uh, a bare hand. And another interesting thing that we saw was uh, balls hit to his left side. So again, 42% of balls were hit to his left. And 12% of the 42% of his balls hit to his left were backhanded, which you might think is, what the heck? That doesn't make sense. But when you look at the video that um, I posted underneath the thread, all the balls that he backhanded to his left were either going back a little bit on choppers or just going in a little bit to the left on choppers. So these are high bouncing balls where he's able to catch the ball around his chest area. Um, and in doing so, he's able to turn his glove over in sort of a backhand uh, glove action. And that's going to allow him to turn his body towards first base and get his feet set earlier before the catch, uh, which makes it a lot easier for him, kind of like a catcher pop time thing um, to get that out. And then he used two hands on 8% of the balls to his left and one hand on 80% of the balls to his left. So we can see that he's a lot more confident in using one hand and 
Um, but you can see there's still a lot of versatility. I want to go back to the bare hand thing just to give you a stat, but essentially to complement what you had. Uh, Nolan Arenado, since 2013, has made 140 successful bare hand plays. No one else ha- among infielders has even one third of that. Wow. So he's rid- I think he's ridiculous. There are two polarizing players that we, when we tweet about, we get more responses about than anybody else. One is Jackie Bradley Jr. You don't necessarily study outfielders. The other is Javier Baez. Uh, tell us about what you found about him. Yeah, Javier Baez is, again, the most highly touted player in terms of infield tag plays, anything like that. Very um, flashy, but he actually makes all the plays, um, which is super cool. You, typically, you see you know, one or the other, but he's very consistent. Um, we found with his breakdown, uh, playing shortstop, and this included shifting too, but we just looked at just him playing shortstop. It was pretty similar uh, breakdown throughout in terms of there was only 39% of balls that were hit to his left, 25% right at him, and 36% to his right out of 236 total plays to first base. Um, he actually utilized the two-hand uh, fielding glove action on – balls to his right a lot more than other shortstops or again Arenado for that matter he used the two hand 38% of balls to his right lane and only 46% were backhanded uh, with 16% one-handed so you can see that um, again this included shifting so I think a lot of balls that he was able to get to uh, to his right he only had to go a step or two because of the shifting and that allowed him to field the ball with two hands but you can see that he's very comfortable with his arm strength, so he backhanded a lot more balls. Um, and he's also able to field on the run with one hand. Balls to his left, um, he didn't utilize the backhand uh, like Nolan Arenado did just because of the I believe the way that the ball comes off the bat, it doesn't really you know chop high. When it does, he has to charge versus Arenado is able to go back a little bit. So he used the two-hand 69% of the balls to his left and only about 30% uh, he one-handed. So he's, he's very reliant on the two-hand and using his arm strength, uh, which is very interesting compared to the study on Francisco Lindor, which I can go into if you'd like. Yeah, go ahead. And just a reminder as we talk here, because we're referencing it quite often, uh, you can follow Dai on Twitter at Dai underscore squared. That's D-A-I underscore squared, S-Q-U-A-R-E-D. Yeah, so Francisco Lindor, um, similar to Javier Baez, he used the two hand on balls to his left 65% of the time, um, while he used the one hand 35% of the time. But on balls to his right, Francisco Lindor utilized the two hand 52% of the time, and the backhand only 33% of the time, as opposed to Javier Baez's um, 38% two hand and 46% backhand. So again, you can see that Francisco Lindor works a lot harder in terms of uh, trying to get in front of the ball building with two hands, being consistent in that regard, and utilizing his feet to make a good throw and get the right hop versus Javier Baez is able to um, maneuver his body in a way that he can field it with the backhand, use his arm strength, a lot of no-step throwing, where he just fields the ball, plants, and throws without taking steps towards first base. Um, and you can see just the different styles that, that players use depending on the, the strengths that they have. So what's the next step in all of this? I'm not sure yet. I haven't really dived into too much past this. I think this is just a lot of interesting. I think one of the biggest reasons why I did this was, again, to see as a player what different you know players, the best ones, what they do, as well as um, training economy and practicing. A lot of people 
um, look into, okay, this happens, you know, X amount of times uh, over a course of the season. This is how much we should practice it. So let's say, you know, backhands happen, you know, 40% of the time, then maybe we should practice backhands 40% of the ground balls that we take, things like that. Um, and so looking at this, we're able to see, okay, balls is the right aren't, again, necessarily always backhands, but how often should we practice one hand on balls to the right? How, sh- how often should we practice two hand on balls to the right? And I think this goes to show that, yes, it's important to work on all of those in each of the lanes, but at the same time, there's a lot of individuality and freedom that needs to come um, to, you know, use your strength and capitalize on that. Speaking of Arenado, Lindor, and Baez, uh, I want to get into your teaching aspect and the fact that you have drills that you put on your Twitter that people can do at home. I think my favorite one was this because essentially I could do it if I wanted to. You said to pick the highlight reel of your favorite infielder and find a YouTube video that has that, put it on your screen, uh, phone, whatever, and then practice your first step. Uh, Explain what, what you're trying to do with that. As you can see with the fielding Bible that you guys wrote, like first step is very important in terms of creating maximum range. When you're at home during a pandemic, you're not able to take live reads off BP or in games or even practice outside. Um, you need to be creative in terms of how can you work on your prep step and your first step. And so I was trying to think of, okay, when do I prep step at home? Um, I was thinking, okay, what, what was the timing of when I took my jump and all this stuff? and I was like, all right, maybe I can put up a YouTube video and kind of time it up with the pitchers throwing and kind of get a sense of, all right, this is my first step. So then that spiraled into what I posted on Twitter, which was I was looking at Endrits and Simmons. And so when the pitcher pitched the ball, I was able to take my prep step and work on that timing. And then when the hitter hits the ball, I'm able to work on my first step and see, all right, how quick was it? How efficient was it? Um, was able to get me my maximum range and kind of at the same time look at the best fielders and see, wow, how did he get to that? How did he, how did he get to that play? And be more marvel at the spectacularity of it. So nice. Um, there was another one just again for uh, for people looking to find ways to work out with everything that's going on. Uh, wall ball on walls with I guess what you would call irregular juts in them. Yes. Yeah, so um, again, it's very important to work on wall ball drills to. Just, just, it's just really simple. It, you can work on a lot of things with minimum amount of time and just a wall yourself on a ball. But when it's just a normal wall, you know where the ball's going. Um, you know how it's going to hop. When you have juts in the wall, whether they're bricks, um, stones, whatnot, you don't know where the ball's going to go when you throw it. So that's going to allow you to work again on your prep step and your first step to see, okay, because you don't know where the ball's going to go, you can't cheat a certain way and you have to react. And so that's where um, I kind of looked at it. I was trying to figure out new ways to practice at home. And for me, it was I found a tree and I threw a tennis ball at a tree and it just bounced different ways every time. And at first I was, you know, a little mad, you know, not surprisingly, it's going everywhere because it's round and it's got barks on it. But at the same time, I was like, maybe I can get something out of this. And, you know, looking at it, I was thinking, okay, first step, prep step. Those are some things that are really important. And even if you don't get to the ball, you can work on speed. You can work on quickness. With all the teaching that you do, um, what are the most common mistakes that you see aspiring infielders make? And how do you suggest going about to correct those? I think a lot of mistakes uh, with young infielders is just reading the hop itself 
on balls right at them. They're not, they kind of go straight at it or they take too big of a curve, kind of that banana route. And I think the more I've played and the more I've learned from um, coaches like Tucker Ferrali and Ty Correa, it's about getting one step to the left, lining up the left foot with the ball or um, somewhat, some people say getting the right head over the right knee, the head over the right knee. Um, some people say line the left hip with the ball. Um, just to be to the side of the ball and read the hops because it's a lot easier to see um, the balance and speed from the side than it is directly at it. Working on that during, you know, again, wall ball or there's just a lot of ground balls. I don't think there's, you know, magic drill that's going to make you a better infielder um, per se. I think it's just a lot of taking a lot of reps and working on skills that are necessary. There are a lot of people out there who I think uh, aspire to do lookups or research or video work or whatever on a variety of topics. You see pitching, hitting, uh, fielding, it's great. I imagine it takes a lot of patience to look at 600 543 double plays or all of the plays turned by Javier Baez. This is what we do as a company. Uh, For the individual who wants to do something like this, what uh, advice do you offer to them? You really got to love it. I think that's the biggest advice. And for me, I was really interested in it and I love watching videos and I really wanted to, to find out what the breakdown was of whether it was the feed, the feeds from um, third base or ground balls to shortstop or third base. Um, I was really interested in it and watching the, the best infielders uh, go about their business is to me, it's the coolest thing. And so all the time that I spent watching the videos, making the PowerPoints, um, and the slides was a lot of fun. I, I loved it. Um, if you don't love it, I think you're going to get bored of it real soon because <laughs> it is a lot of videos and it does take a lot of time um, coding it and making sure that everything lines up with the st- statistics on baseball reference to, to see that you actually got all the possible plays. And again, it's, it's a case study for a reason. It's only one year and they say you need about three seasons worth of ground balls to actually get some sort of meaningful statistic. But at the same time, this is what I have as a lay lay person with access to baseball savant. And I mean, it's been a lot of fun doing this and I'm looking forward to hopefully some more through, you know, conversations with different people. I think that's where a lot of this stems from. All right. So we know you're a college baseball player, but what are, what are your future aspirations? I think once I'm done playing baseball, I'd like to get into coaching, um, whether it's at the college level or pro level. I'm not really sure yet, but I want to go where I can learn from different people and kind of expand my knowledge, um, not just in the infield realm, but also in hitting, base running and pitching and kind of get um, the breadth that people talk about, as well as creating these relationships and getting people better. Baseball is so much fun, but I think without creating these relationships, you're not able to make players maximize their strengths. All right. And uh, can you give us just any sort of tease on what other things you got planned Twitter-wise in the next uh, little bit? I've been really into the practice to game series that I've been posting recently, which shows um, different practices and how that correlates to games itself. And so one of the ones that I'll probably be posting pretty soon is there is a technically a four, six, three double play, but it's essentially a six, five, three double play where Correa feeds the ball to Bregman um, and turns double play from Correa's playing like the second base position as he yep. shifted over on a left-hander. And so you can see them working on it pre the, I believe the world series last year. And so 
you can see how that correlated to them actually using that in a game. And so I'll have the practice video and then the game video back to back. For me, it's just really interesting to see guys actually uh, practicing in the shift because it does happen so often. I think the Astros are the first or second highest in terms of shifting. I think they do it like 45% of the time. I think 75% for lefties I saw. Yep. Um, so it's very, very high. And so you can see that um, how that practice, even though double plays may not happen as much, can be influential and important in getting those outs that really do mean a lot to pitchers and the team. Nice. Dai Dai Otaka, uh, thank you for joining us. Best of luck in your baseball career and best of luck in your future. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Check out our new baseball book, The Fielding Bible, Volume 5. This book gives a comprehensive look at our new and improved defensive run save stat. It features essays on all 30 teams, research and studies on important topics, and stats and analysis you can't find anywhere else. That's Fielding Bible, Volume 5. Available at actasports.com. That's A-C-T-A sports.com. Or wherever you buy your books online. And this wraps up the Sports Info Solutions Baseball Podcast. Thanks to Dai Dai Otaka for joining us and our producer, Justin Stein. I'm Mark Simon. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for tuning in to the SIS Baseball Podcast. If you like the show, please rate and review us on iTunes. If you have any questions, email the show at mark at sportsinfosolutions.com or tweet us at sportsinfo underscore SIS.